The second Bible reading this evening is from Psalm 90, and on my few Bible this is found on page 625. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn men back to dust, saying, Return to dust, O sons of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. You sweep men away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. Though in the morning it springs up new, by evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. The length of our days is seventy years, or eighty, if we have the strength. Yet their span is but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For your wrath is as great as the fear that is due you. Teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, O Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendour to their children. May the favour of the Lord our God rest upon us, Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This is the word of the Lord. Well, friends, tonight we were meant to look at the book of Hosea. We've been working through Hosea. But we're going to take a break from Hosea. And tonight... Because of what has happened, I thought it would be good for us as a church family to reflect on life and death, the big questions of life, to reflect on even our own mortality and to seek God's wisdom and comfort in that as we reflect on this psalm, Psalm 19. So let's ask God for his help. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, you are the God of heaven and earth. You have made us and you have spoken to us. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that tonight these words from this psalm might be a comfort to us and might help us see the hope that you offer in Christ. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now we all know that life is short, don't we? We all know that. We know that our life is finite. Our time on earth is limited. From cradle, the crying baby in the cradle, to grave, that's a finite time. It might be five years, it might be ten years, it might be fifty years, it might be eighty years, but it is finite. And we know that, don't we? Life is short. You see, those who, are, those who work in marketing, they actually know this. And they play on this, they prey on this, in fact. They're out there to try to get us to, to buy stuff, to spend money, to draw our attention, to suck us in. You need this. Otherwise, you're not living life to the full. Life is short. You need this. You need this toothpaste or you need this hair gel. Otherwise, you're not living. You need this facial cream. 
otherwise you're missing out. And they prey on us. Life is short, live it to the full. And so I found a few examples of what our companies have advertised. Reebok, the sporting brand, life is short, so play hard. Short, play hard anyway. Here's another one. This one's from Germany. This is a recruiting company. Their motto is, life's too short for the wrong jobs. Can you see that? Life's too short for the wrong jobs. They say, don't get stuck in a rut. They've got a few others here. Life's too short for the wrong jobs. And another, life's too, too short for the wrong job. Don't get stuck in a rut. Life's too short for that. Get out of that. Another one, this one actually worked for me. Life's too short for bad coffee. That piece of marketing worked. But anyway, we get the message, don't we? And we know this. We don't need these advertisers and marketers to tell us. They're trying to encourage us. Get out there, live life a bit. Enjoy life a bit. Live it to the full. Live life for yourself because life is short. And we know that, don't we? We don't need them to tell us. We know that. We know that life is short. But I suspect for many of us, it only becomes real. It only becomes a lot more real when we ourselves are confronted by death in a personal way. Often we're so desensitised by death that we hear it on the news every day. There are thousands of people being killed all around the world every single day. We get desensitised by death, but we shouldn't. Death is horrible. It is ugly. I mean, just this past week in Victoria, in our state, there was a death of a 22-year-old man in Eltham. A driver, another driver was killed in Maryvale. In Wangaratta, a little girl was killed. We hear that we cannot be desensitised to that, can we? They're tragic events, sad events, depressing events. But this is the broken world we live in. But then, when we hear of news of the death of someone, when death robs us, someone we know personally, someone we love, someone we've spent meals, eating lunch and dinner with, someone we've played games with, someone we went along camp with, that hurts us deeply. It hurts us because we know this person and death has robbed us of our friend. It shocks our system. But then what it also does is... It brings to mind again, life is short. Life is short. It can be snatched away in an instant. But you see, this should really be no surprise to us. We see all the time, generation to generation, people die. I mean, even the greatest people on earth, the greatest people in all of human history, they die. The life of the greatest explorer, that comes to an end. The life of the greatest scientist, the greatest mind, that comes to an end. The life of the greatest warriors, the greatest rulers, the greatest kings, that all comes to an end as well. We know that. Life is short. But you see, today we're going to see something else. Because there is one life that stands in stark contrast to all these lives of human beings, to mortal men. And that is the life of God. You see, in this psalm we'll be reflecting on this evening, It puts this contrast as starkly as possible, as clearly as possible, crystal clear. God is God and we are not. Do you get that? 
God is God and we are not. God is eternal and we are mortal. But I wonder how many of us actually live our day-to-day lives knowing this, recognising this, accepting this, that we're actually mere mortals. Know that somehow we're young, we're strong, we're invincible. The world is my oyster, there for me to conquer and to consume, for me to take advantage of. I'm young, I'm strong, I'm invincible. I wonder how many of us take our day-to-day lives that way. I must confess, even I think like that sometimes. Every year, I get older, and so do you. Do you realise that? We get older. You can't help that. Every year, I lose more hair. It won't be too long. I might look a bit more like Chris, but still taller. (laughs) Every year, though I'm getting older, I somehow manage to convince myself I'm getting stronger. I'm stronger now than I was at 21. I'm stronger now than I was at 25. I manage to convince myself. All my exercises, my push-ups, I'm getting stronger. I'm keeping healthy. I'm building a strong immune system. I will last a long time. I'm thinking I'm young, I'm strong, I'm invincible. And so this year, Yvonne, she actually got sick quite a few times. And I would look down upon her. I would say, what's wrong with your health? You weakling, your immune system is horrible. You're getting old. (laughs) But then in September this year, I was knocked out by this crazy flu for about five and a half weeks. Never been struck down that seriously for a very long time. And it was only after three weeks when I couldn't hack it any longer. I was miserable. I I felt like I was... You know, not going to last much longer. After three weeks, couldn't hack it anymore. You know what I did? I went to the doctors for the first time in many years. It was humiliating. I was <laughs> sick. But it was a good reminder. Good reminder that I'm not invincible. I'm a mere mortal. Yvonne, she likes to remind me of that as well. You see, we are mere mortals. Man, woman, we are mortals. But there is one who is immortal. There is one who is eternal. And this is what this psalm tells us. The people of God knew this perfectly well. The people of God knew this. Look at verses 1 and 2. So open up your Bibles to Psalm 90 and we'll work our way through this psalm. Verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Do you see how clear that is? You are God. We are not. God is God. We are not. Before everything was placed in their place, before the stars were put in their place, before the mountains were raised to the skies, before the rivers flowed through the ravines, God was God was. The contrast between God and man cannot be any starker. None of us, as strong, as powerful as we might be, come anywhere near close to God. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. We are not. 
Now, I do want us to take a bit of time to just reflect on that, that there is a God who is eternal. If there is a God, such a God who created all things, who made all things, who brought us into existence, who gave us life, this God who is eternal, who is above us, before us and will be after us, then this truth alone should shock our world. This truth alone should shock our lives. Because what this means is that if there is such a God who is eternal, what it means is that we're not in the centre of the universe. The world does not revolve around us human beings. The world does not revolve around you. The world does not revolve around me. There is in fact someone who is more important than the most powerful person on this earth. The presidents, the prime ministers, the kings, the rulers. There is one who is more important than all of them. And so anyone in their right mind to think I'm the master of my destiny, I'm the captain of my soul, you know what God says? No, you're not. You're a mere mortal. No, you are not. God is God, we are not. God is eternal, we are mere mortals. But you see, we are mortals not because, as the atheists believe, we're just a large series of chemical reactions and chemical combustion that's just run its course. It's not that. Nor are we somehow connected in some great circle of life. Have you heard of the circle of life? If you haven't, you must. It was in The Lion King. In this scene, Mufasa, the king, he was teaching his young son, Simba, everything you see exists together in a delicate balance. As king, he's telling his son, as king, you need to understand that balance and respect all the creatures from the crawling ant to the leaping antelope. Simba goes to his father, but dad, don't we eat the antelope? How are we meant to respect them when we eat them? Mufasa, yes, Simba. Let me explain. When we die, our bodies become the grass and the antelope eat the grass. And so we are all connected in the great circle of life. And how does that sound? That's Disney for you. That's very romantic. But it's not true. It's not why we are mortal beings. You see, we are mortal beings. We live and we die by God's design and also because of God's judgement. And so what this means is that death is not just our lot in life, that this is just a part of life, but death is also our sentence. It's not just our lot in life, but also our sentence. And this is what the psalmist tells us. Look at verse 3. You, God, you turn men back to dust, saying, Return to dust, O sons of men. From dust man was created, and so to dust man will return. Now when I talk about man, I'm talking about mankind generically, man and woman. And then verse 4. For a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. You sweep men away in the sleep of death. They're like new grass of the morning. Though in the morning it springs up new, by evening it is dry and withered. You see, what this psalm is meant to help us see is that life is fleeting. We know that from experience, but the Bible tells us so as well. Life is fleeting. We're meant to sense the frailty of life, 
the brevity of life, the shortness of life, and it's meant to unsettle us. It's meant to shock us. It's meant to disturb us. Death is no good. It is ugly. It is never good. It's meant to disturb us. One minute I'm alive, the next minute I could be gone. And so each time when we are confronted by death, it's also meant to bring to mind our own mortality. Now, think back to the first time you've heard of someone dying. I still remember the first time I was confronted by death, the ugliness of death. This was when I was old enough to understand it. This was in 1998. I was in my first year of university. It was on a Sunday after church. It was just a normal day. We were getting ready to head home. And then we received news that my uncle, my brother, my father's younger, younger brother, at that time, in his 30s, on that day he went out fishing from Atona Beach. And what happened was something tragic. He died at sea. His body was only found a couple of hours later. That was the first time I felt the ugliness, the, the torment of death, that it would rob me of my uncle. That was the first of many times I've heard news of death. And I'm sure you have as well. The longer you live, the more tragedies you hear. When I was at Bible college in my third year, one of my friends, her brother, they found him home dead. He committed suicide. That was a shock to our whole year level. And then in fourth year, another friend, his brother, committed suicide. Another sad, sad news for our year level. We were shocked. We were devastated. And of course, this past week, some of us are still in shock by that. You see, we're meant to be unsettled by death. We're meant to be unsettled by our own mortality. But you see, our mortality is not just our lot in life. This is not just the way it's meant to be. It's this way because it's also our sentence. Death is the judgment of God on human rebellion. Now, of course, some of you might be thinking, isn't this a bit harsh? That God would judge us, judge humankind in such a way? Isn't this punishment disproportionate to the crime? Well, think about it. If God is the giver of life, if God is the one who grants us life, grants us every breath we have, what do you expect when you reject the life giver? All you can expect is no life. You see, death is the sentence, is the judgment. You see, we only think it's a bit harsh or disproportionate because we don't see and understand how offensive human sin is towards God. It is hideous. God hates it. And it's because we don't feel the weight of our own sin, our own shame that we've brought upon God. You see, in the end, nothing will be hidden from God. All our secret thoughts, all our secret desires, all our lustings, all our fantasies. God sees it all. God sees right into our hearts. And he's not happy when he sees that. He's not happy with what he sees. In fact, he's angry. And so we see here from verse 7, have a look. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. You see, nothing is hidden from God. He sees it all. And then verse 9, all our days pass away under your wrath. 
We finish our years with a moan. The length of our days is 70 years, or 80 if we have the strength. Yet their span, listen to how sad this is, yet their span is but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. And this is the sentence all humankind is under. As good as life might be, no one will escape pain and hurt and sorrows. All that will come. And so this psalmist has put it as clearly as possible. God is God. We are not God. We must remember that. God is eternal. We are mere mortals. So what are we meant to do? How are we meant to think as we're we're confronted by death? Well, this psalmist, he doesn't throw in the towel. He doesn't give up on life. He's not a fatalist. We're going to die anyway, so it doesn't matter. Live free, do whatever you like. That's not his attitude. But instead, what does he do? He wisens up. He wisens up. If this is who God is, that he is eternal, that he is the one who is the give of life, then any fear we have of death should drive us to the fear of the one who can take that and control that. The fear of dying should drive us towards the fear of God. And you see, that's what the Bible talks about when it speaks of wisdom, human wisdom. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of wisdom because we're recognising our place. God is God, he's the creator, we are his creatures. And so when we revere God as God, when we honour and glorify God as God, we are acting wisely as his creatures. And so this is what we see in verse 11. Have a look. Who knows the power of your anger? For your wrath is as great as the fear that is due you. And so what are we meant to do? Well, now we come to the key verse of this chapter, verse 12. Teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days. It's a plea to God. It's not asking God, God, can you tell me how many more days I have left on this earth? Tell me how many days is it? One year, five years, ten years? Just so that I can plan out my life, so that I can work out my bucket list, do that bungee jumping, go on that holiday and and do all that before I, I kick the bucket. It's not such a prayer, not such a plea. But this is a desperate cry to God. God, please give me a real and deep sense of the frailty of my life, of the brevity of my life, of the shortness of my life. Help me understand that, that life is short so that I won't be naive, so that I won't think I'm invincible, so that I won't be naive and think that I have all the time in the world. But help me to number my days. Help me see my days. Every single day is precious and is a precious gift from you so that in whatever time I have left, I might live it out wisely. That is his plea. Teach me to number my days, so that I might live it out wisely. But then what does that look like? To live out your life wisely, numbering your days. Well, it is, as this psalmist has been saying, God is God, know that. He is the centre of the universe, not you, not us, not me. 
God is God and so it is to him alone we must turn, depend on and to plead. And so that's what this psalmist does next. His heartfelt plead to God. He does this humbly. And in fact, if you think about it, all humans do this by nature in times of crisis. Whether they believe in God or not, in times of crisis they turn to God. When you're in the pits and there's no help, people turn to God. When you've hit rock bottom and there's no hope, people turn to God. When you're in the face of death and there is no way out, whether you believe in God or not, people turn to God. People turn to God in times of crisis. Now, do you remember in 2001, a terrible terrorist attack in New York on, this, on September the 11th? That was a tragic day, terrible day for the world. But after that day, church attendance increased 25%. In times of crisis, people turn to God, whether they believe him or not. Now, it took another two more months before church attendance came back to normal. But in times of crisis, people turn to God. And that's what this psalmist is doing, turning to God, crying out, Lord, please grant me. I know what my life is like, but please grant me compassion and love, not wrath and anger. Lord, please grant me joy and gladness in my life and not emptiness and sadness. Lord, please grant me fruitful labour and not fruitless work and toil. And so that's what he goes on to say in our final verses. Verse 13 onwards. Relent, O Lord. How long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendour to their children. May the favour of the Lord our God rest upon us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. You see, it's an earnest plea to God for mercy, for compassion, for love and it is the right plea because this psalmist recognises God is God and we are not. God is eternal and we are mere mortals. But there's a big but in this psalm. not sure if you've realised this. There's a little problem in this psalm. Do you notice that there's something odd in this psalm? Something strange? Or something missing from this psalm? I mean, God never answers. God never responds. And so this psalm might read a bit like, well, plead all you like, you humankind, you earthlings, but there's no promise that God will grant it. Plead all you like, you earthlings, but God is under no obligation to give it. You see, it's a strange psalm. The plea is requested, a heartfelt plea, without an answer. So what do we do with that? Well, we've got the whole Bible, not just this one psalm. We know how the story finishes, don't we? We know the pleas of mortal men throughout the ages has been answered by God in his son Jesus Christ. Because what did God end up doing? We know that, don't we? What God ended up doing was beyond the wildest imagination of this psalmist. You see, the eternal God, 
the immortal God, entered into mortal existence. In his son Jesus Christ, that very first Christmas, that is what Christmas is about, the immortal God, eternal God, becoming mortal, entering into our existence. The immortal becoming mortal to experience our pains, our sorrows, to experience our troubles, our heartaches, but above all, to experience and to take upon himself the wrath and anger of God for our sin. The one who can't die, died on a Roman cross. That is God's response to the psalmist's plea. That is God's response. The one who can't die, died on a Roman cross. But the one who did die was raised again to life to declare to the world, to the people of this world, death does not have the last word. To give a glimpse to the people of this world, there is life after death. And to also grant to the people of this world, to those who depend on the death of Jesus for their salvation, they will get eternal life. I mean, you must think about that. We are mortal human beings. But now this immortal God becomes mortal to grant us immortality. And so the Apostle Paul, he can tell us this. He can say this to us. Despite what you experience in life, as hard as it might be, despite your pains, your grief, your sorrows, your anger, your troubles, this was what the Apostle Paul said. Therefore we do not lose heart. We see death all the time. We are hurt by death. Do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. I mean, isn't that amazing? Isn't that so profound? We are mortal human beings. We live, we die and we think that's it. But yet God is here saying, your works will achieve an eternal glory that far outweighs all that we've experienced. You see how the gospel changes everything. The good news about Jesus changes everything. Do you see how mortality now no longer means hopelessness? And you see now, death does not get the last word. And you also see what it means now for us to number our days. We live our life no longer helplessly, no longer hopelessly wandering our way through life, fearing when our end might come. But we number our days knowing and recognising the frailty of our own life, the brevity of our own life, so that we don't waste it away. We are called to number our days so that we don't waste our life and waste it away. I mean, we don't know how many days God will grant us. We'll never know. God has his plans, we just don't know. But we number our days so that we don't waste it. We don't waste it. Waste it away. Hating people. Harbouring bitterness against people. Holding grudges against people. Leaving relationships unresolved. That is wasting your life away. We don't waste our life away not loving our, f- our family, our friends, our parents, our siblings. If you do that, you're wasting your life away. 
We don't waste our life away by not spending more time with our family, with our friends, caring for them. We don't waste our life away not serving the people God has given us to serve. And we don't waste our life away living for ourselves. If you live for yourself, you're wasting your life. You're really wasting your life. You won't be achieving that eternal glory that Paul speaks of here. If you live for yourself, you're wasting your life away. And as so I'm sure, none of us want to die having any of those regrets. But more than all those things, more than our relationships with each other, you don't want to waste your days. Waste your days here on earth not knowing this eternal God who has responded to the plea of this psalmist, the God, the eternal God who loves you dearly. Don't waste your life not knowing him. This eternal God who sacrificed his dear son for you, that you might have life. Don't waste your life away not knowing this God, this God who grants you the promise of eternal life. Don't waste your life away not knowing this God. At this past week, I've been reflecting a bit on, on death and even my own mortality, my own finite time I have on this world. And thinking about that, thinking about when my life might be taken away, my question to myself was, when I die, will I have any regrets? Will I regret not doing something, not loving God more, not serving more, not doing more for my family? And so I thought about this. And so on the Friday, I was driving our kids, our three kids sitting in the back seat, driving to pick up Yvonne from, from work. And so I thought, well, here's my opportunity. I've got the three kids, an opportunity to give them a life lesson. And so I asked them, you know that Daddy and Mummy loves you a lot, don't you? And they said, yes, we do. And then I asked them, but do you know who loves you more? And they said, well, God does. Jesus does. I said, that's right. It's because God is your heavenly Father. I'm your earthly Father. God is your heavenly Father who loves you more than I do more than I can. And then I said to them, what will you do if daddy is no longer around? Ethan in the back seat said, you mean when you're dead? (laughs) So sensitive, that little man. And then Esther, my daughter, the only daughter, who's a bit more sensitive, she said, Ethan, don't say that. But Ethan got it right. That was what I meant. When I'm no longer around, if I do pass from this life to the next, I wanted them to know, and I said to them, I I wanted them to know, though you've lost your earthly father, you've got your heavenly father who loves you more. Don't forget that. I've got to tell them that Yvonne will still be around to love them too, but I think they know that. And so as I numbered my days, I wanted my kids to know, if I am gone, that God loves them. The heavenly father who loves them dearly, and so love God. Trust God with your life. And so having said that, knowing that, I can die without regrets. And so tonight, that's my same message to you. There is a God in heaven, our Heavenly Father who loves you dearly, who loves you deeply. Love him. Trust him. And the promise of Paul, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far weighs out them all. Recently, I, 
I adopted a, a personal daily prayer. And I adopted this prayer from Peter Adam. He was the former principal of Ridley College. I adopted this as my prayer because this was a helpful prayer for me to daily not waste my life, to number my days. And it goes like this. Please make me the person you want me to be. Prepare me to do the good works you want me to do and help me to do them. May I live today by these words of Paul for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. May this day be the best day of knowing, loving and serving you and living for your glory through Jesus Christ. Amen. And we all know life is short. Forget playing hard. Forget playing more. Forget playing for yourself, but number our days, not waste it away. Live each day like it's our last day to live for Christ. And what's the promise here? God will establish the work of our hands. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, We thank you that you've made yourself known, the eternal, immortal God who loves us dearly. And so we do pray, Lord, that we will not waste our lives away. And so please do make us the people you want us to be. Prepare us all to do the good works you want us to do and help us to do them. May we live today by the words of Paul, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. May this day and every other day be my best day, be our best day of knowing, loving and serving you and living for your glory through Jesus Christ. Amen.